0: Greg Warren grew up in St. Louis, the son of a wrestling coach, and enjoyed a successful high school and college wrestling career himself before he discovered stand-up comedy while still a student at the University of Missouri. Neither stints at West Point nor Procter & Gamble could sway Warren as much as stand-up has, a career he has pursued consistently touring comedy clubs on the road for the past 20 years. His flute band bit ranks as one of the most requested bits in the history of The Bob and Tom Show on syndicated radio. Warren has performed on late-night TV, put out a half-hour comedy, Central Presents, and recorded albums and specials for Sirius XM and Dry Bar Comedy. After using Los Angeles and New York City as bases while working the road, Warren moved back to St. Louis, and last summer, recorded a new hour special across the Mississippi River in Illinois. Where the Field Corn Grows comes out in June 2020 as both an album and a video special via 800-pound Gorilla Records, and Warren joined me over Zoom to talk about his new special and more. So let's get to it! So, Greg Warren, last things first. Um, you know, as we were talking right before I hit record, you have actually been in this room where I'm recording from before. Yeah,
1: man. It's been, you, it, that's probably going back, about eight years ago or something?
0: So you filmed a thing. Uh, my roommate then at the time, comedian Dan Hershon, who's become a very uh, skilled behind-the-camera editor and filmmaker, he, he filmed you doing something? What yeah, it was like some
1: actor. It was an acting audition. Uh Sean and I um I didn't get the part and I uh I really this hold This
0: living room set did not.
1: I hold you responsible for that. Yeah, I the zebra picture in the back, I seem to remember it, it was there at the time and uh I really think it threw off the casting director. Yeah, it had nothing to do with my performance, you know. I do remember it was when I was like early in my uh, when I lived in New York and um was in the middle of summer (laughs) and I like just, I didn't live in a story at the time. I wound up, wound up moving there. So I lived down the Lower East Side and just like getting to your place. Mm -hmm. I was so hot and so like flush. If you look at the camera, like, it's like, well, this is an insane person. He's sweating and he's like, this is obviously somebody who's coming down off of some crystal meth uh, episode. It was, yeah, I was like, my face was beat red. Um, so it may not have been all just because of your place,
0: oh, yeah. and and that was not yeah. the the role you were auditioning for was sweaty hot, disturbed white man.
1: No, I don't. I don't think so, man. And and uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, as soon as somebody's looking for that guy, uh, <laughs> things are really going to start taking off with my career. I <laughs> I can assure you that. Yeah.
0: But you're you're from the St. Louis area, and you're back yeah. there now. How long yeah. have you been back in Missouri?
1: I think uh, just a little more than four years. Yeah.
0: Okay. And I noticed, you know, you have a new special out now or yeah, out now called where the field corn grows and in it, you dedicate the special to your mom. That's why you moved back. Right.
1: You know, it's one of the reasons, um, I had never intended on, um, living in New York permanently. I, uh, it was sort of, I just wanted to go and see if I could get better at, at comedy. And, uh, I thought I was going to stay for like a year or two and I stayed for four, It was pretty awesome, you know. I I, um, met a lot of really cool people. Uh, I I do feel like I, you know, I, I found out some um, some holes in my comedy game. You know, (laughs) I think, uh, which was a little alarming at first. Um, And then towards the end, I was, you know, I think I had like six months on my lease, and I was like, I think I'm gonna stay for another six months. And then I was doing a lot of acting auditions, not, uh, all in your house, but, um, I was like, ah, we'll see if some of these things, uh, uh, play out. And if they don't, I'll probably wind up going back to St. Louis. And then right around that time, my mom got sick and I, uh, went home and, uh, you know, I just, you start realizing that, you know, I, she, she didn't have a lot of time left and I wanted to be around for that. It wasn't, nearly as much as I had hoped, but I was, I just was, I was like over Christmas and things kept getting a little worse. And I, my my roommate, Ryan Beck, who uh, is a comedian and, and lives pretty close to you in Astoria, we, I just called him. And I was like, Hey man, he was a younger guy. And I was like, I'm not coming home. He's like, when are you coming home? I'm like, ever, I'm not coming back. I go, I'll call the landlord and, you know, make a deal, get us out of the lease. He wound up moving in with his girlfriend who is now his wife. And I was like, I'll give you you know, some money, just get all my stuff together, put it in a, a, a U-Haul and drive it to St. Louis. They needed the cash. I was like, I'll pay you to do it. So, yeah, that was, um, yeah.
0: It's uh, it's funny. Like, I know a couple of, of guys like you. Paul Hooper is another guy. Oh, Hoop, yeah, yeah. But but I, I mentioned him specifically because you you guys are guys who, well, you know, we're speaking now in June of 2020, but for those of you who remember what comedy used to be like, you yeah. uh, you spent the majority of your of your career on the road. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So
0: it's yeah. so it's always weird to run into a guy who who's a road dog who lives in New York City.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I sort of I, my favorite comics were always sort of the guys that were like you could tell were a mix of the road and New York. Okay. Um, and, and that's still probably the case. Uh, and, uh, I never, I lived in LA early in my career, but I never ha- had lived in New York. And I was like, I think I, I want to at least go and see what it's like. Okay. You know?
0: What, when did you, when was your LA period?
1: That was, you know, I, I had a day job up until the time I was 33 years old. I got kind of a late start Not you know, I was doing comedy, you know, on the side, but, uh, I quit my day job in 2001 and, um, basically lived out of my car for a year on the road. It's less, um, romantic than it sounds like that, that. I wasn't the struggling comic living on the road. Cause I had money saved from having a day job. So where those guys would be like, yeah, I had to sleep in my car. I'd be like, I just got a hotel. I was, <laughs> I was tired, but I, I lived on the road for like a year. And then, uh, I, I I moved to LA after that. I got like, you know, a break. I got Montreal or something and got a break and thought I'll move to LA and lived out there for about five years.
0: Yeah. What, what do you, what do you take most from that, from that experience from the LA years? Um,
1: you know, I think it was good. I met a lot. Again, I met a lot of cool people. Um, you know, was exposed to some acting classes. I uh, got uh, was close with my manager at the time. I, um, you know, a lot of my friends now, uh, uh, friendships I formed at that time, and I got used to doing. That was probably one of the first doses of doing showcase type sets and and being in front of the industry. I think I was probably from a comedic standpoint, like a, a stand up comedy standpoint. I might have gone out there a little early. Uh, I had a little bit of heat, but i um towards the end, I felt like uh, my writing was a, a little uh stale like I, you know I felt like I needed to go I, I I moved back to St Louis at that time and I felt like I needed to reconnect with something different than just the normal what What every comedian I, I felt like I was writing about what every other comedian writes about, and that's i'm never in a good place when uh, you know i 'm not that good when that happens so
0: you know the um, con- the conventional wisdom about stand ups is that a comedian moves to New York to get good at stand up and a comedian moves to l a to get into t v and movies was that was that your rationale as a young buck coming out of yeah like i laps?
1: mean I think um first of all, I wasn't that young, you know, like oh, right. you, said you you said
0: you started 30,
1: yeah. yeah. So I was like, and I think at some point I was like, man, I should go to New York. But I was like, I may have to skip a step here mm-hmm. and uh, go to LA. And, um, you know, you, after a while you realize, you know, I'm 51 years old now and you realize, uh, th- that that may be some conventional wisdom, but there's, there's no, traditional path anymore or there's no one path to uh to sort of become the comedian that you want to become
0: what what do you think happened in your life to to make comedy only come to the forefront in your 30s instead of in college because you had you had first done comedy while you were still at mizzou right
1: yeah yeah I, i won like a comedy contest um and um
0: so why the twelve-year wait before you pulled the trigger?
1: Cowardice, I think, uh, Sean. Nah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I, I was like this. Um, I was a pretty straight kid, and I was like, I, I was real. I was a wrestler when I was from the time I was six years old through college. I wrestled in college, and you sort of always had this overarching purpose in your life. You know, if you get lost, you just go back to, okay, I want to be a, I want to be a national champion. I want to be an Olympian. I, you know, you just, I'll just center on that. So it, it was always there. And I got out of college and I actually did move to Chicago and I was right off of a breakup with my girlfriend, my first like uh, girl that I was uh, completely in love with. And so I was a little bit lost anyways. And I moved to Chicago and just stayed with a buddy of mine who was in art school. And I was like, I'm just going to be a comedian. And I mean, like three weeks later, I was just a mess. I was like, I, I don't have this. I, I need more structure in my life. I'm a mess. And I, so I wound up and I, and I was at the time, I was like, I, I think I want to have a family and I want to, you know, so I wound up going to get a real job. I, I interviewed uh, and wound up working for Procter & Gamble for 10 years and uh, selling Pringles and Jif and Duncan Hines and Crisco. But during that whole 10 years off and on, I would do stand up. But I was like, ah, I, can't, I can't ever make a living at this. I can't. And then like that last five years, I started to get better. And the last two years, I was sort of trying to figure out a way to cheat the system. I was like, I, I'll just get transferred to New York or transferred to L.A. That way I can safely have, you know, all this money and um, and then, you know, not lose everything. And But I can dabble more in comedy. And a buddy of mine at the time, this guy uh, that I was, well, a friend of mine, uh, Keith, you know, he kind of, we were, I still remember we were like at a waffle house in Cincinnati where I was living at the time. And he was like, eh, I was like, I don't know, man. I figure like if I, if I just quit my job and become a comedian, you know, maybe I won't ever have a family or, and he was like, well, maybe you will. Like, maybe this is the thing that you need to do to sort of get that out of your system or you need to. So I quit and I was like, I'll, I'll just, um, I'll probably wind up doing this for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. you, You know? I mean, I was, You know, when you're when you're living in like Cincinnati, uh, those last five years, I was the MC. So on the road, there's an MC, a middle, and a headliner, and I was always the MC. And it's a brutal. It's not the funnest thing to do, you know. And uh, I was like, I just am so sick of being the first guy. I want to be the second guy for a while. I don't want to. I want to be the second guy. So I'm just gonna quit my job and go on the road and be the second guy for uh, a couple of years. And, uh, you know, luckily that was 2001 and I, you know, I was, I would have assumed I would be selling potato chips again by now. And so, you know, I haven't had to do that so
0: far. What was go bananas is the, the big club there. right? Go bananas was
1: a club back then. Yeah. I was like the sort of the one week a month I would MC at go bananas, uh, one week at a, a club called jokers in Dayton, Um, That's not there any longer. And then another at the the Columbus Funny Bone, which is um, a great club. And, you know, one of the probably the club that I've been working longer than any other club.
0: When you were making that move from first guy to second guy, were there any headliners who uh, either took pity on you or like took you in as like a little brother to?
1: Um, There were guys that gave me encouragement. You know, um, uh, Billy Gardell was definitely one. There's a guy named Ron Morey, uh Mark Gross. Uh, I'm trying to think, it's Jake Johansson was really, really cool to me back then. Um, uh, it's really interesting you ask that because you remember those guys. Harlan Williams, uh, uh, Bobby Collins was really nice to me a couple of times. Like you, you really remember uh, and then there, you know, a guy named Ron Ramey was really cool. Who's who, who passed away a while oh, back. Right. Um, so yeah, you kind of remember those. So, but I, I also got some help from some club owners. Like the, the, I was ready to, you know, to be the second guy I'd been emceeing off and on for 10 years. And I, you know, I'd made some, some, I had some relationships. Uh, there's this guy that, that ran the club in Columbia, Missouri named Freddie DeMarco, who you probably don't know, but if there's any road comic out there, you know, from the past 20 the years, they have all these stories about Fred. And Fred just, it was funny, man. He, he, I knew him because I went to college at that, you know, at Mizzou, and I worked for him. I was like a door, a bouncer at that bar. Okay. So I knew him, and he was one of these guys. He was a character. He said, hey, hey, Craig, what are you doing? I don't think you should quit your job, you know. Go back to selling soap and potato chips, you know. I don't think it's a guy. I'm like, Fred, I already did quit my job. He's like, all right, you know, I'll make a couple calls. So he really set me up. But I think, like, early on, I wanted to see if I could do it without Freddie. And, you know, I was like, ah, I want to do this on my own. I got, I, I've met some people without Fred. He was, like, almost like my uncle, you know. And uh, I'm like, I don't want to use Freddie for some reason. You know, I want to do this on my own. So I call this lady. She's a great friend of mine now. She actually, her and Freddie were actually at the taping of that special that we're going to talk about. But um, I call Colleen Quinn in Omaha she booked two rooms at the time and I call her and I'm like, I'm going to get into these rooms. You know, this is when I still had a day job, but I was just, I knew I was leaving. I was setting up my whole year and I go, Hey, uh, it's Greg Warren, you know, and, uh, you know, I want to work your room as a feature. She's like, who do you know? And I ratted off like five or 10 people, you know, these comics, you know? And, and she's like, eh, eh, eh. Yeah. I don't know those guys. So that, you know, and then I go, I'm, I'm like, I'm losing her. I go, uh I know Freddie DeMarco and she gets really serious. She's like, listen, Freddie DeMarco is one of my best friends. And I, if you, he's never mentioned you to me, I've never heard of you. And I'm pretty sure if you knew Freddie, that he would have mentioned you to me. So if you tell me right now, if you're lying, say it, if you, if you are, if you don't tell me I'm going to call Freddie and if you're lying, you'll never work at my clubs and several other clubs. And I, you know, I go like defeated. I was like, no, you can call Freddie, call Freddie. So she, she, she hangs up and I swear, Sean, she calls me back like 30 seconds later and goes, okay, I have you in Omaha on this date. I have you in South Dakota on this. It's like, like Freddie was serious. Like he was, the man, like he was, he was the guy, you know. Uncle
0: Fred Frank hooked me through. up
1: with this guy, um, Rich Miller, who, who used to book a lot of rooms, and uh, and uh, Rich was really good to me early in my career. Fred hooked me up with him, um, you know, one of the first people I worked with on the road. Like, it was weird because, like, during while I'm all you know, at Parker and Gamble I had a day job, you're doing all the you're in your 20s, and I'm doing these fun shows. And, you know, you're starting to get good. And afterwards, you know, you're meeting girls and all the other comics are like, hey, me and these girls are going over to this bar. You want to go? And I'm like, I can't. I got to get up at six and go to work, you know, and then and then I get on the road, you know, in those first couple weeks, you know, they're like, hey, you want to go to the bars? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yes, I do. Yes, 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 I do. Uh, But one of the first weeks was in Austin, Texas at, at one of Rich Miller's Club Cap City, which is still there and I still work. And I was working with Wanda Sykes, and it was she was just like getting famous at the time. And man, we had the greatest time ever. It was like it was like a complete party the whole week. You
0: know. Now, being a, a comedian from and of the Midwest, I have to ask you about the importance of, of Bob and Tom. Yeah, that like was back in the nineties and two thousands.
1: Yeah, that was the biggest break I ever got. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I, and I've, I've been on a you know good amount of TV things and done a bunch of cool things, but there, there is no thing that I've ever done where more people come up to me, have the show, you know, and say, I heard you on this, maybe satellite radio. Sirius is, you know, cause just, I've been on Sirius so much and for so long and, and it's, it's serious is such a cool thing for comedians. Um, but Bob and Tom, I I think I first went on there in 2004 and, um, you know, I, they put me on their tour and, and I, I just had like one joke that sort of hit, and they, it was back when they did a lot more like bits and they just they put it on one of their CDs and they played it every week for a couple years and it just it was great and they 've been um, they 're still extremely generous to comedians you know? how
0: how did How did a comedian get in in good graces with them like to start you- well,
1: I think I had a, like my manager 's assistant at the time i had when I was working in Cincinnati, I would listen to them. And I, you know, so they were like huge to me. I was like, I, you know, you, you know, with a radio show like that, you, you watch the tonight show, it's like five minutes of a stand-up. with a radio show. You listen to these guys forever and you start to, you feel like they're your friends. You know, when you're, I know that you they're you're vulnerable when you're going to a day job and you're just miserable in the car for 30 minutes and these guys are your escape. So you, you bond with them and uh, I had like one of my, my, my manager's assistants. I was like, Hey, Jennifer, I think I could get on the show. I'm going to be in Dayton, Ohio. Could you, you know, work it out? So she like pulled together some audio and sent it to him and they were like, yeah, we'll have you on. And the first time I just, I don't know, I did this, you know, I told this a uh, story about wrestling in college and playing the clarinet in the band. And they, uh, it really it, like, it somehow resonated with their, their listeners. And um you know i i uh, i think also uh you know i i was in sales for ten years, so um you know i'm not saying I'm disingenuous but i i think you by default learn how to not piss people off you you know
0: you know, okay. <laughs> you, you, you know I, I, I think diplomacy of it
1: yeah, I think so. You know, I think, uh, I'd like to think that it's all because I'm, uh, you know, so, so damn funny, but it's, uh, you know, I, I think you learn how to, you just learn how to not do stupid stuff. Uh, which if, you know, if I wouldn't have gone into sales for 10 years, I probably would have gone right to comedy in my twenties and just been an idiot. But, um, yeah. And, and, and then, you know i I lived in St. Louis, which was close to them, and I could always uh for off and on several times I could always go over to you know to do their show, which is four hours away and um yeah they uh now you know these guys are they're my friends when I go in there it's it's really the show has changed a little bit over the years um and I've sort of changed the way I approach it but it's uh it's it's you know it's the, like the, the you know one of the funnest three or four hours that I'll have. It's, it's just, it's just hanging out with your buddies and, and, and you gotta, you know, they're really funny people. Um, uh, my buddy Josh Arnold sort of took over for uh, Bob when Bob retired and, um, you know, he's, I've known him forever. He's, he's a really funny guy and a generous guy, uh, with the laughs and, um, you know, helps set you up and, Chick McGee is like uh, one of the funniest human beings you'll meet. Tom's great, and Christie's—you know—they're all really good friends. So I just sort of go in there and try to enjoy them, you know.
0: Just, how does how does it how does appearing on their on their show directly translate into ticket sales or merch or?
1: Um, you know, is I I, I think it's certainly early on. It, it was amazing, you know. It was like. Oh, I did, I, you know, radio was bigger 10 years ago, to be honest. But I, you know, I, they had never heard of me. And uh, they have these giant, you know, this giant fan group. And uh, you go on the show on Wednesday and say, hey, and Tom's always generous about plugging. Hey, Greg's going to be at this club on Friday. And you show up Friday and there's, there's it's sold out. And it's all their fans. Um, you know, some of that has ebbed a little bit in that those people, have seen me, you know, 10 times or, you know, I, I was on their tour where you're going playing these arenas or theaters and, you know, they've seen me 10 times and um, they've bought my CDs and stuff like that. But it's, if I go to a Bob and Tom market and there's, you know, I don't know, 120, 130 of them or something. I, I don't know the last count, but um, th- there'll always be somebody that shows up and says, yeah, man, I've listened to you for a long time.
0: Yeah. I would suppose some of that too is also moved from, Bob and Tom and in terrestrial radio to Sirius, yeah, which yeah. you mentioned before. Like I know you did, you did one one project specifically as a Sirius, um, album. I th-
1: yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I did the last album I did, which was primarily about my time in New York. Um, was called Fish Sandwich, and uh, you know, I, it was interesting because I um, the the guy that runs Sirius. XM Comedy is a guy named Jack Vaughn. And Jack used to he started the Comedy Central record label, which was one of the first comedy labels, you know, and sort of a lot of stuff that you see in stand up comedy um record labels. Like he was the first guy to get comedy on Pandora and stuff like that. And so I knew Jack. He did my first album with Comedy Central. And um I had called him uh when I was getting ready to do something with that New York material and he was like, Hey man, you know, we got this, this channel on uh series called Laugh USA. It's uh it's basically G rated. It's family friendly. You, you need to make the album family friendly. And I've never been a, you know, I would say dirty, you know, but I, yeah, I, I, a, a little profane at times, you know, and he was like, you got to do that. And I was like, Whoa. So I did it. He was like, just trust me, do that. He goes, you're clean enough where you should go all the way clean. It's a smart decision. Like he gave me really good advice and I, you know, I struggled with it for a little bit and I, I put, did this album, it's called fish sandwich and it was recorded primarily to play on, on, on laugh USA. They had like a album of the month um, thing going on then. And it was sort of their relaunching of laugh USA. And I, you know, um, uh, they, they wound up releasing the album later. Um, that's kind of how I, um, uh, met up with these guys, 800 pound gorilla. They, they, uh, did the, that was one of the first albums I think they did was, was fish sandwich okay. and Jack had recommended me to them. He's like, these guys, you, you, you should at least take a look at them. Cause they're doing some interesting things that no other record label is doing. They had, they, they kind of Think like figured out the internet basically uh and um and they, you know they were just getting started at the time and and uh so uh um we, we did that album together and now this next album i did with them and it be, you know became a, a special as well as well and it's gonna it's gonna play uh, it's gonna debut on 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 Sirius again you know um before uh it's a, before it, it comes out as an album
0: uh, before I ask you about that, uh, two things. One is, you just reminded me, Laugh USA is the only uh, serious comedy channel that I could listen to on airplanes.
1: Oh, is that right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess. That, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
0: It doesn't offer any of the other serious comedy channels. So.
1: Yeah, it's... Um,
0: probably, you know, it, it, probably because it's they want something that's going to appeal to everybody.
1: Yeah, and it's clean. Like, it is right. very, you know, it really... It's it's G rated, man. Uh, <laughs> but not lame. You know, it's funny. People like there are there is this group of people that you know will come up to me like, oh, your 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 comedy is so so clean. Um, we love it. You know, we just their favorite thing to say is like, well, you know, you don't. That's a sign that you're really funny. Is that you can be clean and funny. And I'm like, listen there's some amazing comedians that are filthy and I think they're hilarious. Like, like I don't, I don't, I don't feel like that. You know, it just happened to be sort of the direction that I was writing anyways, you know, and I got some good business advice from, from Jack. And I was like, I'm just going to try to, you know, try to go this way all the time. But yeah, I, I don't think that there's like um, this uh, I don't think it's artistically or morally better to to, to do clean comedy it just it's it just happened to be my thing you know yeah
0: I, f- I find most of those uh debates to be pretty disingenuous but um,
1: um yeah i think so i mean i i get that it, it, I, I i really appreciate that they like it because I, there's some stuff that i don't want to hear about from stand-ups i mean i'm a i'm a comic so uh, you know I, there's not much, but every now and then I'm like, you know, it's just not. I, I I'm not offended by it, but it's just, I just don't really want to tune in and listen to that. It's just, it's, uh, you know, in a way it's boring to me, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. But,
0: uh, and then right before this, uh, this new special that's coming out on video and audio, um, you did something with dry bar and, I'm, yeah. and I'm very curious about, their whole deal at dry bar. I know that, um, they, they pushed a lot of stuff out in like 2018, 2019 on Facebook and those Facebook videos, like even the ones for you for that, for the special you did for them, your videos were getting like 2 million views. And... Yeah. It's kind of, kind of
1: interesting. Like I, I, um, I had a, a the guy that sort of, I think is sort of the, Liaison between Dry Bar and uh, the comedians mm-hmm. There's a guy named Keith Stubbs, who's a, re- a really funny comic. Oh, well, I've heard, I've heard of him. Yeah, funny dude, and he, and he owns some clubs in Utah. He owns Wise Guys in Utah, and I, I've known Keith for a while. He's, he's just a good guy, and he told me about it. And I like the first time around, I was like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really think I want to do that. And then, you know, I didn't really at the time, this was probably two, three years ago, I didn't really see an avenue to a special, like nobody was knocking on my door. And um, I had some friends that were sort of in my same demographic and those guys were getting, you know, shot some stuff and it didn't go anywhere. And I was like, hey, let me give Keith a call and see what this is all about. So I did. And basically what I did is I just did sort of the video version of Fish Sandwich, you know, that album, like it wasn't, that's that material was out audio but it wasn't out video anywhere and the real reason i did it was you know whenever you back the t- back the time i was not very sophisticated with uh, social media so if you googled me you'd find some horribly shot video that i didn't shoot that some guy shot you know in at a comedy club or some god awful um, Morning TV interview where, right. you know, I just look like an idiot and there's, uh, some hot girl talking over me
0: At <laughs> so I was like, in the morning,
1: Six thirty in the morning. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I was like, these guys, I think have the, the internet figured out a little bit. So, um, so I, you know, I shot it and I didn't expect a whole lot. You know, they give you a little bit of money and it was fun and, uh, you, it, it's the company itself, basically got its start. I think it was, it's a Mormon, uh, owned company. I'm pretty okay. sure it's in Utah. And their thing was, Hey, we're going to take, um, you know, Hollywood movies and we're going to sort of take out the parts that Mormon people don't want to see. Mm-hmm. And they, and they, that are offensive, to, you know, to Mormons and, and repackage that. And they got this giant mailing list. I think when they did that and they're like, well, we've got all these people, what can we do? And they, they start. let's start shooting clean comedy specials and see what we can do with that. Well, that became like big business for them. And they really, there's some smart people there and they, um, so they really, uh, did you, so, you know, that, I sh-
0: did you shoot that in Utah?
1: Yeah. Provo man, Provo, which is, you know, Utah, you know,
0: <laughs> like, it's funny. I mean,
1: it's very, very, yeah, it's, it's very Mormon in that, like, I, I still remember like, um, you know, I don't even, I don't drink anymore. I'm, I i do not smoke. Uh, so my one joy is, uh, you know, is, is caffeine. And I remember like, especially before, and I and i am, you know, I'm getting. It's, I'm so lame, Sean. Like, you know, I'm getting to the age where like, man, I can't really be drinking, you know, caffeine after uh, noon or I'll just be up all night. You know, it's just <laughs> pathetic. It's, it, so, so, but on, you know, when on taping days, you know, and things where it's like, like, Hey man, this is a taping day. You're doing something for TV or, you know, you can have as much caffeine as you want. And you know, it's, you know, so, so it was like right before the show and I'm like asking hey where's the Starbucks around here? And they were like kind of weird about it. They're like, uh, you know, like what, what do you, and I, it didn't register. Mormons don't drink caffeine. So there wasn't a Starbucks in Provo. I want to, I want to go to this Mexican restaurant right by the theater and, and they had tea. They had iced uh-huh. tea. I'm like, hey, give me like six of those, man. so, <laughs> Yeah. They had like herbal tea at the, you know, they were really, you know, they had all the craft services stuff. They had like herbal tea. I'm like, nah, man, I need it. So I felt like I was almost like, uh, you know, like buying cocaine or something. Uh, and, uh, so yeah. So we shoot it and like they release it, uh, you know, eight months later and, I'm like, where am I getting all these emails? Like, I didn't even get it. Like, the, I'm getting, I got like an email from this girl that I knew in high school. They, they, you know, like you said, man, they get giant amount of hits on Facebook and YouTube. And it's yeah. kind of the, the, the fans that I want, you know. It's, um, so, it, yeah, they they, uh, they do a really nice job. And I, I really think I got, I, you know, I, I um made a lot of new fans from that thing.
0: And but, for this special, you said uh Jack Vaughn hooked you up with the the folks from eight hundred pound gorilla
1: How- well jack Jack had actually originally hooked me up back in the day for the uh you know he just recommended. he was like, these guys are doing things that other record companies are not doing, you know at the time. He's like they you know i they he noticed some some of the ways that they were promoting some of their artists on Facebook, especially, I think. And he was like, check them out. So we did Fish Sandwich and they did a great job on that album with me. And and they're really good guys. And um, so actually, you know what, this this goes back uh, maybe two years ago or something. I remember I was in New York uh, uh, near Thanksgiving. I was in New York and Kathleen Madigan, who's a friend of mine, who's oh, so doing something Louis. up at Sirius. Yeah. Great. Yeah. From St. Louis and a great comic. One of the best. She was doing something at Sirius where it was like, you know, she'd have uh, comedians uh, on and they just sort of, we do like holiday jokes and just sort of talk about it. And it aired over Christmas. So I ran into Jack up there and uh, this was a couple of years ago, Hey Jack, I got this, uh, I go, Hey man, we, you know, I go, Hey, I think I got something for you guys. You know, I want to, I want to, I got a new CD mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I go, and I, I want to, um, I, I, I want to release it, you know, on serious it's going to be laugh USA ready. It's going to be clean. And I I think I'll have, I, I think we'll record it sometime next year. And he's like, but t- tell me like, uh, what, you know, what is it? You know? And I was like, ah, I, don't know. I don't know. He's like, I go, I got this one bit about farming and I told him the bit like in the hallway. He's like, that's it. That you got to do that. Do more of that. Do more of that. Do more of that. And then try to do it. Just don't just do it special to get the, eight, the 800 pound guys were getting into video at the time. They started as just a, you know, CD company, record okay. company. Uh, and uh, he's like, get, talk to those guys, shoot it. You know? And I was like, Ah man, now I got to go write more farming material and stuff. (laughs) So I, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, like about seven months later we shot it, um, as a, as a special.
0: How did you, how did you decide to shoot it in Edwardsville? Is it because it was the closest small town across the river from you?
1: Got it, buddy. I mean, you got, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, well, here's the thing. Um, and this isn't like, you know, it was just the, the, the special is not all farming, but it, mm-hmm. it's a lot, maybe half. And the other half, I feel like sort of, you know, isn't separate from the farming. It's linked together. But I was like, I, I want farmers to be in the crowd. I, I want a lot of farmers to be in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And it was the middle of July. It was, it was, you know, almost a year ago. And when we shot it and, you know, it's, it's not easy to get, in the Midwest in the summers, it's not always easy to get a good crowd, you know, for two tapings worth of, of a, of a special. And I, you know, St. Louis, I have some fans and I, you know, I, I, uh, but I didn't want to do it in St. Louis cause I want the farmers there. So I, you know, the, uh, there's a really cool theater called the Wildy Theater uh, in Edwardsville, which is about, you know, 45 minutes from my house. And, um, yeah, that's why we picked it. You, you hit it on the head, man. <laughs> And there were farmers there, man. There was a bunch of farmers. I mean...
0: Yeah, no, you see, you see them in the end credits. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh,
1: I'm so glad you caught that, man. Yeah, we kind of... My buddy, Jake Hansler, who helped... Uh, he wasn't the director, but he was like an a, assistant director, or producer, or something like he... He ran that. I was like, Jake, I don't know what, if we're going to use this, but just on the way out, interview a bunch of farmers. And, and uh, you know, it, it wound up being really cool.
0: Um... So, you know, you mentioned, you know, growing up as a, as a wrestler, Yeah, uh, son, son of a wrestling coach. So did you even have a choice in that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think I had a choice in being exposed to it. Um, but in all honesty, like I, you know, I took to it right away. Like it was, you know, my dad was the coach and I remember, you know, I, I was begging to be able to, you know, he let me practice and stuff when i was a little kid and then for like the first year and then i was begging to be able to be in competition and stuff so yeah i was he exposed me to it but um he would not have made me do it if i you know didn't want to
0: what's uh, so what's harder wrestling with uh human beings or wrestling with comedy bits
1: Man, you've been sitting on that one for a while, huh?
0: <laughs> I saved it for the end. I saved it for the end. <laughs> um, I saved it for my closer. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know, man. I mean, there's very, very different things. with. I think I had to learn early on because, you know, like uh, – Early on in my career, I think I was like one of my buddies, like Kenny Smith was like, man, you know, when you're up there, you're like, look like you're getting ready to wrestle. Like it's not good. You, you know, you, <laughs> like you look way too intense. So, um, you
0: didn't have the ears on, did you?
1: No, I didn't. I didn't do that. Yeah. That would, that, that would have been over the, uh, but I, uh, uh, it's too late for that, uh, Sean, I've already got the uh, cauliflower here. So. Um, that's why I have to wear these headphones. I can't use the AirPods or the, you know, I have to have the ones that hook cause they don't fit in my my funny years but um yeah wrestling it's just so brutal physically you know you just you, you, like especially in college like even when you wrestled a guy that wasn't that good you still felt like you just felt like some you were you just were exhausted you know physically beaten down after winning a match you know <laughs> so uh yeah that that's the part that I I just don't really ever want to have to deal with again. You know and I, and I couldn't I'd have a heart attack. But
0: uh, So you're not like Steve. The-
1: ah, oh you did you did watch this special. Thank you. I'm <laughs> I'm very grateful, man. I'm very grateful.
0: Yeah. Well, I I'm also grateful because that means you're also not angry and seething with rage.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Steve, you know, an inside story about Steve and uh, uh Sean's a friend of this, this bit in the special. I I tell a story about uh this they used to bring in this guy that was a farmer, uh, to wrestle me when I was in college. And it turned out he was an Olympian, uh, but he was an Olympian the year that they boycotted in 80s. So he didn't get to wrestle. And, um, he, uh, he just would, he would just beat, beat me bad, like really bad. Like he, he, he was, he just, they were like, you can learn something. I'm like, no, the only thing I'm learning here is how to take a beating, you know? And, uh, he was actually a really nice guy. Um, and he was, uh. Steve was like pretty, he was very religious and I think he worked for athletes in action. Do you know what that is? It's like, um, oh, yeah. it's like a sort of a missionary group that goes around the world. Like Steve would go to Russia and places and sort of, you know, uh, talk to them about uh, religion uh, and also, uh, you know, talk to them about sports and teach them, you know, wrestling and stuff. And, uh, but I mean, I, at one time after practice coach was like, guys, uh, Steve wants to talk to you about, uh, you know, his, his religion. So, you know, I'm not a very religious guy, but I respect people's religion. But after practice, you know, Steve's talking to us about God and I'm like, yeah, um, you know, I don't know a whole lot about God, but I'm pretty sure based on what you're saying, he just saw what you did to me in practice. And I'm having a hard time listening to you right now after you just about ripped one of my arms off, Steve. It's, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Greg, thanks for taking it easy on me. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
0: things first.